Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubitt. If you're within the sound of my voice, I need you to take notes. I'm going to be teaching out of 2 Kings chapter 6 today, which I'll get to in just a moment, but we're still in, <clears throat> excuse me, our Vintage Church series of teachings. I know it's Father's Day and people expect me to, to do a Father's Day sermon. In fact, that's what I intend to do. But I'm going to talk about why the church was powerful. We've been trying to answer this question. This is the fifth week we've tried to answer the question. Why was the early church so powerful? And this week I'm going to answer that question by stating this. That they were powerful because they understood the fight that they were in. They had a firm grasp on the fight that they were fighting. Sadly, so many of us have forgotten the fight that we're fighting and have grown complacent to it. We are in the state that we are, lacking power, lacking courage, lacking conviction, because we have forgotten that the fight around us is very, very real, both physically and spiritually, but primarily, of course, because this is what I do, I'm going to talk to you about the spiritual nature of the church, the spiritual position of the church. And I want to talk to you why I think we have forgotten what the fight looks like, what the spiritual battle God's called us to fight looks like and how we should fight it. We have largely forgotten because we've allowed men, taught men, encouraged men to be less than men be a very pointed word today but there's a couple reasons why I think we're in the condition that we are in the nation in the church in our homes first because we've allowed men to be placed on the side of the shelf we've displaced their their need to lead their home we've shown them that their influence doesn't matter you know, I haven't done that. Sure you have. We all have. The society as a whole has. Let me tell you this. It's the consequence of letting a man believe that he's not important in his home. We started generations ago convincing men that it was okay for you not to be in your home, for you not to be leading your home. But that's not true. You're not to supplement the work in your regards to your children and your family. You're supposed to lead your children and your family. Not only that, but we have, we have allowed, by displacing the men, to the, for the government to come in and supplement the income of the single mother, thus proving even further that men aren't necessary. Can I tell you that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell? Your house was designed, intended by God, to be led by you, by a man, by a father, by a spiritual leader. Amen? Now, I know people are struggling, you're all, I'm a single mama. Then lead where you are. But find a man that's willing to be the spiritual father in your household. I'm not condemning you, I'm just telling you who should be leading your house. Why is someone else leading the house now in America's society? Because that leadership always happens in a vacuum. Which means the second a man's pulled out of that position, 
A woman's going to be sucked into that position. That leadership position is not going to go unfilled. Sadly, in American society, we've grown so complacent that a lot of times even the woman is sucked out of that space and children are sucked into that space. And we allow our kids to tell us what we're doing and to lead us. It shouldn't be this way. Not only have we grown complacent, but then we've taught generations that it's okay for a husband not to be who he should be, for a man not to be who he should be, for a father to not be who he should be. I've watched when I grew up, the sitcom, the popular comedy sitcom was Married with Children and The Simpsons. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start this by saying faith comes by hearing whatever you hear. It comes by hearing the Word of God, but it comes also by hearing whatever you hear. If you hear a lie small enough, long enough, you're going to believe it's true. Well, we've allowed these television shows and society to indoctrinate us to think, to believe that man is weak, ignorant, and a bumbling idiot. That the woman that he has is out of his league and should run his house, and that it's okay for children to be openly rebellious to their parents. And we've built our faith on that. We've built our society on that non-truth. We couple that and we take our kids, our young men, and we, we realize, man, they're acting like boys. They're running, they're fighting, they're climbing trees. And instead of disciplining them in a godly way, we decide we're going to drug them to make them act right. Let me tell you, running, climbing trees, fighting is acting right for boys. Boys are going to be boys. And I, I know the whole people go crazy. You should never say that. Boys are supposed to be boys. Boys are supposed to be boys. Because a boy can't, if a boy's not allowed to be a boy, he'll never be a man. How about you discipline him? We need to learn to discipline them in a godly way instead of allowing them to run around however they decide to run around. We have got to move from a place of acceptance to a place of leadership. Not only have they been drugged, but then you send them to 12 years of school. And I'm not anti-education. And then four years of college. And they come out with this socialist ideology. Believing that someone else should take care of them. It shouldn't be this way. Men. And when I say men, I mean all the men in this room. From the, the youngest man to the oldest man in this room. Because all of us are called to lead. And women too. If the man's not there, somebody has to lead. But lead in a godly fashion. Understand that God didn't put you on a shelf and let you get dusty. You did that to you. You allowed society to do that to you. And we did it by becoming complacent to the Word of God. Proverbs 22, 28 says... Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. Did you hear that? Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. That means leave the boundaries alone. The Word of God is the Word of God. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. it doesn't, now this is the principle from the text. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe the boundaries are where they should be. It doesn't matter. God sets the boundary. It's not our place to move them. The problem with moving a convictional boundary is that it can never go back where exactly where it was. The problem with moving a convictional boundary generationally 
Because my generation may never know where it was. And so now we have all forms of depravity, all forms of sinfulness and wickedness. And they've been accepted, but not just accepted, applauded. But not just applauded, we've even come to a place in our own society where we don't just celebrate sin, we crucify anyone willing to stand opposed to sin. And that's because there is a lack of leadership in our homes, in our churches, in our nation, and around the world. God's calling men to something greater. God's calling you to something greater. You said, I've never had kids. I don't care, you're a spiritual father to somebody or you have the ability to be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ as teachers, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became father through the gospel. We got men that are coming to the church. They feeling good about coming to church. They sit out. They listen. But they've, they've determined for whatever reason to be a reservoir for the word of God, for the truths of God, for the convictions that they have, and not a river. You're not supposed to hold those things. You're supposed to pour those things out. There's a generation. There are generations that need you to be everything God's called you to be. This is the truth in my case. I recently met my dad, but God didn't let that vacuum go unfilled in my life. I had my papa first, and then Pastor Rick and several other men that gathered around me. I've got men now, Pastor Leonard, that comes around me and prays for me at least once a week. Like physically stops by here and prays for me. I'm grateful for those fathers in my life. Amen? But we've got to be more. We've got to understand that God has called us to lead. But we can't lead. We can't fight the fight for our family if we don't know what the fight looks like. And that's primarily what I want to talk to you about today because I want us to be as powerful as the early church was. I want us to know what the early church knew. And the early church knew, first, I'm going to make three principles. I'm going to read this text and draw three principles. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read the text first. Now the king of Aram, this is 6 starting in 8. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel. And he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down, the, for coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him. So he guarded himself there more than once or twice. So let me kind of give you a heads up what's happening. The king of Aram was trying to come against the king of Israel. But the man of God sent word, because he had a revelation from God, that the king of Aram was trying to come against him. And so he warned him, and the king of Israel hid himself. Everybody with me so far? Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this. He was mad because his plot had been foiled. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? He's trying to figure out who the loudmouth in his crowd is. One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. 
So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. So to catch you up, king of Aram wants to kill the king of Israel. Word of God was sent to the king of Israel through Elisha. Elisha warned him he was able to protect himself. It made the king of Aram even more mad. He got furious, in fact, and found, and found out that Elisha was the one that delivered the word to the king. And he said, well, since I can't get to the king, I'm going to get to Elisha. In verse 14, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, this is to Elisha, what shall we do? So he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear. Does that make y'all laugh? That should make you laugh. Because he just said, do not, let me explain to you what's happening. The nation of Aram came against Elisha in the city of Dothan. He woke up early in the morning. Now this is an attendant. This is essentially his assistant. He woke up early in the morning. He's doing his stretch, kind of walking the city gate around the city wall and he looks down and he sees this vast army chariots spears clashing swords clanging shields making noise all of these things happening he's terrified y'all understand how terrifying that would be and Elisha had one word for him he said do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You think he believed that? You know, he was all, what? Elisha believed it. But I, I imagine the attendant going, bro, it's just us. <laughs> then Elisha prayed. It said, O Lord, I pray open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So the attendants freaking out, Elisha says, Don't, don't, don't be afraid. And then he prayed, God, show him what's really happening here. And he peeled back the curtains of reality of the world that we know and allowed him for a brief moment to see the spiritual realm and in that place he found comfort when he realized that the armies of God which outnumbered the armies of Aram were there and were there to fight on their behalf it brought him peace and comfort I have a word for fathers today and that is those that are with you are greater than those that are with your enemy. You need to stand on that truth. I get afraid too. To be completely transparent with you. God's asked me to do some scary stuff. But you know what? I've always come to a place to realize. Not always realized immediately. 
is that the God that is with me is greater than the enemy around me. Dads, fathers, men, young men that will be men, know God is with you. God is with you. Ask God by the power of your Holy Spirit, give me peace to know that you surround me, that you comfort me, that you watch after me. The Bible says be anxious for nothing, but of everything, prayer, supplication with a heart of thanksgiving. Be anxious for nothing, yeah, because the God that you serve is bigger than the anxiety you carry. That is so good if you believe it. So there's three principles I want to make out of this text. I'm going to make them very quickly. They knew, the early church knew that the battle raging around them was real. They didn't deny the fact that the battle that was raging around them was real. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't succumb to it. They didn't submit to it. They didn't let it intimidate them. Men have been beaten into a place where they believe that tolerance is the primary characteristic of a good man. That's a lie. Tolerance is a characteristic of a man with no conviction. We have to be men of conviction, understanding that the Word of God is the Word of God, that the Spirit in us is more capable than any other spirit around the world. And there are spirits. Those are the spirits that we fight against. We don't fight against flesh and blood. At the end of the day, even if you did fight against flesh and blood, if you were to die in that battle, you're not dead. You're going to live forever with Christ Jesus according to the Word of God. So what are you anxious about? The spiritual realm that we're fighting in is a struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, against the forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That according to Ephesians 6 verse 12. The fight that you're fighting is a spiritual fight. The fight that Elisha was fighting was a spiritual fight. I will tell you like he told the attendant, stop freaking out. Stand on your convictions. Know that the fight is real, but also know that you don't fight by yourself. Can somebody say amen? amen? I want to empower you today to know that God sees you where you are. He loves you where you are. He has the ability to strengthen you where you are. He hasn't forgotten you. It's time because the enemy is trying to seize our homes. We need to stand in the threshold of our homes and say, no more. I'm done with this here. Enemy, you have no place here. This house and my people, we will follow God all the days of our life. You have the authority to say that over your home. I get people call me from time to time and say, can you come pray over my house? And I'm all, yeah. But you know you're the primary authority in your house. Maybe you pray over your house. And then if things don't change around your house, then call me and I'll join my faith with your faith while you pray over your house again. Because you have primary authority over your home. Take that authority. The enemy's trying to destroy your house, trying to destroy your church, trying to destroy your family, trying to destroy your nation. And because the enemy's trying, you should be knowing, standing in Christ, that he's not capable because of who you belong to. Fear not, for the number that is around us 
is greater than their number. I wish, I pray, I'd love to be able to open up the window of reality for you, just peel the curtain back and let you see the fight in the spiritual realm. I am absolutely certain, convinced beyond any doubt, that there's a fight that I can't even imagine going, around, going on around me every single day. But you know what I know? That Christ Jesus' blood has hid me in the strong tower that is the God that I have right to run to in my time of trouble. Men, we need to get a hold of this truth. I keep saying men. People of God, we need to get a hold of this truth. So they recognized that the fight was real, but they also knew the enemy was formidable, but not frightening. They didn't deny the strength of the enemy. They just denied that the strength of the enemy wasn't the strength that was greater than the strength they had and carried and, and had working around them. I, I'm convinced that North Korea is a formidable threat. They have tanks, they have rockets, they have all the stuff. I mean, there's a reason why they talk about them on the news. But let me tell you, North Korea doesn't frighten me even one bit. You know why? Because even though he is a formidable threat, he is no threat in regards to what is the United States and the national community. Even though the enemy is a true threat, he's a formidable threat, he's still insignificant in the eyes of God. But you don't know that unless you know who God is. How do I have confidence to stand up here and tell you this? Because I know the God that I serve. I know the enemy that exists. How do I know that? The same way that the king of Israel knew what enemy existed. Because he received a word from God through the prophet Elijah. We receive a word of God now from the canonized scripture. Man, I wish I knew how the enemy attacked me. It's in here. I wish I knew how he was going to attack me. It's in here. And I wish I knew the God that was bigger than the enemy that's attacking me. It's in here. Open up your word. Let God show you how insignificant the threat is in regard to who he is. Amen? Stop fearing an enemy that is smaller than the God that you serve. That's good preaching right there, Pastor Jim. I know, thank you, I appreciate it. But we have to know. You know, the Bible tells us that the, the enemy is such and such, such and such. It tells us very specifically, the best way to win a fight is to know your opponent. I used to teach combatives at the police academy. If you were a stand-up fighter, I'd do everything I could as quickly as I could to get you on the ground. Because I felt like I could get you, I could win on the ground. If you were a ground fighter, if that was your specialty, I'd do everything I can. To hit you, create distance so you can't get me on the ground. You have to know your enemy if you're going to be successful against your enemy. Praise God, the Word of God tells us who our enemy is. It says he's an adversary. He's a slanderer. He's an evil one. He's a tempter. He's an accuser of the brethren. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. We know who the enemy is. But you know what we also know? We also know who God is. God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. You know what omnipresent means? That means He's everywhere all the time. You know what the enemy isn't? Omnipresent. He doesn't have the ability to be omnipresent. You're all, man, the devil's coming against me. 
Most of us live such a mundane life, the enemy doesn't even know our name. You're giving your sin, you're giving him too much power over you. Not to say there's not some smaller ruler or darkness that might be bothering you, but also recognize that what you're dealing with may not be an attack from the enemy at all. It might just be a consequence of your own stupidity. I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, man, the devil's really coming against me this week. I said, oh yeah? He goes, yeah, against my finances. I'm all, all right, I'm thinking, I'm all, you got drunk three times this week, had to call out of work twice because you were hung over. I don't think the devil's coming against you. I think you're just stupid. I think maybe you're coming against you. Don't give the enemy more credit than he deserves. Do you hear what I'm saying? Take responsibility for your own shortcomings. Pray that God deliver you from those shortcomings. Stand firm in the faith that you have and the sacrifice that was made on your behalf so that you could walk in the authority that Christ gave to you so that you might ultimately stand in victory. Because our God is omnipresent and He's all-powerful. Which means all-powerful. Which means more powerful than any other power in the spiritual or the physical realm. Now you don't know what I'm dealing with. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I know whatever you're dealing with, the God that you serve is bigger than whatever you're dealing with. Can I tell you, fear not. For the number with us is greater than the number with them. Your God is all-powerful. As the creator of the universe, there's nothing greater than the creator. Ooh. Sometimes I rhyme, it makes me laugh. But there's nothing greater. But not only that, he's, he's omnipresent, he's omni, omnipotent, he's transcendent, which means he is above all things, which means he has a perspective on your life that you don't have. The Bible says, pray for wisdom and he will give it to you. You know what wisdom is? A combination of knowledge, God's knowledge, God's experience, and God's... What's the word I just used a minute ago? Perspective. When I pray for God's wisdom, I'm asking for his knowledge. God, give me your knowledge. God, give me your perspective. Give me your experience. Because let me tell you, he's got more of all three of those things than you have. And the Bible says if we ask him for those things, he will give it to us. What I'm telling you is trust the word of God in the fight that's going around you. That the enemy is formidable, but there's no reason for you to fear him. Get out of your hole. Take charge of the life that you have through the authority of Christ Jesus and walk boldly, lead boldly, because that's what God called you to do and be. Amen? There's one more point that I think is the most significant point. The early church knew that they fought from victory, not for victory. We're commanded in the book of Ephesians to stand firm because Christ has already won the fight that we're in. Book of Colossians, or the letter, the epistle to the Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, give a picture of the gospel. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were dead in your sin, he made you alive together through Him, capital H, Him, Christ Jesus. 
We were dead in our sin until Christ Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, provoked us to life, having forgiven us our transgressions. Many of us aren't willing to fight the fight that we were supposed to fight because we're still bound by the guilt and the shame of the sin that we committed. Stop it. I know that's very theological. Stop it. Would you write that in your notes? God didn't call you and save you and give you purpose and mission to cause so that you could walk around in shame and guilt for who you used to be. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus, a new creation. He has not only forgiven your sin, but forgotten it. The Bible says that he's thrown it into the sea, that he's placed it behind himself, that he's removed it as far as from the east is from the west. And we still want to carry it around. God's not carrying that around anymore. Who are we to think that our sin is bigger than the God that we gave it to? Because it's not. Trust that the God that forgave you loves you, sees you, has empowered you, has forgiven your transgressions. That's the beauty of the gospel, man. Then it continues... And it says, having canceled out the debt, the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us. The Bible tells us that the penalty for sin is death. But Christ, being our substitutionary atonement, took that penalty upon himself. He redeemed us, bought us back, paid our debt so that we don't have a promise of death. We have a promise of hope and eternal life. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's not your fight. You belong to a father whose army is bigger. Then he said, which was hostile to us, and he has taken us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, he did all that by nailing himself to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him. The enemy has made a, or the God has made a public display of the enemy. Let me explain to you what that means. There was a tradition in Jewish history, well, really regional history, that if a king was defeated, the, de- the defeated, the defeating king, the king that did the defeating, would get in his chariot and he would ride through the capital city of the king that he defeated. And behind that chariot would be a cage where that king was placed. And they would hold a parade in the middle of that king's city to show and make a public spectacle that his authority has been stripped from him, that he is no longer in charge, that the victorious king is now in charge. This is what the Word of God says to you. The enemy's not in charge of your life anymore. He's made a public display of him so that you can know the victory that you walk in. All we're asked to do is stand firm in it. Stand. Don't be waver, wavering. Know that God sees you, that God loves you, that, yeah, the fight's real, and the enemy is formidable, but he has no you should not be scared of him because he only has authority where you give him authority. 
and ultimately that the victory has already been had. Fathers, grab a hold of this. Men, grab a hold. Everybody in a room, grab a hold of this. I don't care who you are. Grab a hold of this. Stop walking in fear and condemnation and guilt. The enemy has been defeated. Amen.